and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. This evening we begin in verse 16. These are the words of the Lord. Jesus says, No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowds. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we open up your, your word, Lord, as we look at these words of Jesus, I pray that you would be with us and among us, that you would exalt Christ in our hearts, in our minds, that we would worship you more greatly today and as we walk from this place. So be with us, God. Open up your word to us through your, your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you may be seated. Um, last week, we saw how stories, they're one of the most powerful things that impact us, that leave a very great impression on us. Good stories are very compelling and often transformative. And for that reason, much of Jesus' stories, even a huge portion of Scripture, is stories. And last week we heard Jesus' story about the sower who went into the field to sow. And the stories that Jesus told um, in the Bible, they're called parables. And parables, they are an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's a simple, relatable story that every person will understand but the meaning of that story is out of this world. With that simple story, Jesus wants to show us something powerful and profound about himself and about his kingdom. And so, in the last week's parable, um, I just want to go over how, uh, what Jesus taught us through this story. Because it ties really closely to the text that we have before us today. And so we saw last week that there's a great crowd that surrounded Jesus. They come from many, many towns. They come to hear the words of Jesus. And Jesus tells us this parable. A sower went out to sow. A sower would have a bag over his shoulder, a bag of seed. And he would go into the field and he would throw these seeds out. And some of the seeds would fall into the field. Some would fall along the path, some would fall on rocky soil where it would grow quickly and die. Some would fall into thorns where they would sprout and then the thorns would choke out the sprouts and it would, be, and it would die. And then, of course, some would fall on good soil and there it would grow and bring a hundredfold. It's a simple story. It was understandable for all the people there. Much of them were in the farm community. But Jesus did not explain this story. He kind of left it cryptic. I'm sure people wondered, what is the point of this story? And the disciples did. Afterwards, they came to Jesus and they asked him, what does this story mean? And here's how Jesus explains it. The sower is Jesus. He is the one who proclaims the word. The seed is the word of God. And the four types of soils represents the crowd that is gathered around Jesus. 
And here's what Jesus is doing with this story. He is describing to us what effect, what impact his word has as it goes forth. There's a huge crowd. Jesus is preaching. His word is going out, and Jesus shows us how it has a different effect on different people. Not everyone in the crowd will receive the word the same. Everyone will hear, but everyone will process and receive it differently. And so the path represents the word of God that is heard, but then it is quickly snatched away by the devil out of the hearts of those who hear. They do not remember what they heard. And so the word has no positive impact in their lives. The rocky soil represents those who hear. They get excited about the word of God. They get excited about following Jesus, but because the soil is, has rocks, there's no room for the roots, there is no moisture, and the sprout quickly dies. These are the people who look like believers for a period of time. They get excited for Jesus for some time, but there is no longevity in their faith. When things get tough, they fall away. They're out. It's like a kid who gets excited for the first day of school. He's stoked. And then three months later, he's dragging his feet into the classroom. He's like, why was I excited for this? It's like a marriage that started with much fire and affection. And on year 10, it runs on faithfulness through the rough patches. And without that faithfulness, it falls apart. Those who, represent, those who are represented by the rocky soil, they are the ones who have no faithfulness, no endurance to carry them through the hard seasons of life. And then the soil with thorns are, the, are those who hear the word of God, but they are busy with life. Jesus says they are chasing Riches. They are pers- they're in a pursuit for all sorts of pleasures. And like thorns, those riches and those pleasures, they choke out the word of God and it dies. To them, the pleasures and the riches of this world are greater than the treasure that is the word of God. And finally, we have the fourth type of soil, which is the good soil. And when the seed falls into that soil, it sprouts, it grows, it matures, and it bears lots of fruit. The word of God is heard, and in that good heart, the word of God is guarded, and it is able to grow and mature. And so here's what we have to understand. Without the transformative power of God, If the Spirit of God does not change our hearts, if God does not miraculously, by his Holy Spirit, if he does not regenerate us, we are the top three soils. That's who we are. We will hear the word of God, and it will have no effect on us. We might get excited for it for a little bit, but at the end, it will not bring good fruit. Only a heart that is changed by God is able to produce true fruit, true faith that endures, that will persevere through all the hardships and trials and tests of life. It will persevere because it is God himself who is guarding and protecting and working in that heart. We saw in Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. True faith, a heart that's been transformed by God, does not die because God is a gardener that does not abandon his garden. He finishes the work that he begins and is good news for us, church. And so through this parable, Jesus is showing us what happens in the hearts of the listeners, what happens in the hearts of this crowd as his word goes forth. Through this parable, Jesus shows us the importance of listening and having a heart prepared to receive and treasure and guard the word of God. 
And Jesus continues this theme in our text today. And throughout the whole entire gospel of Luke, we will see this theme. Jesus spends a lot of time in his ministry talking about the importance of listening, of hearing to his word, and then obeying his word. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46 through 49, we saw this in a story about a house that is being built on a rock and a house that is being built on sand. Jesus says building on the rock is like obeying, hearing Jesus, and obeying Jesus, while building on the sand is listening to Jesus, but not obeying Jesus. You're building it on your own terms. You're building your own thing. In Luke chapter 8, in this parable of the sower, the point here is the difference in how the word that is heard, how it is obeyed. It is the fourth soil that hears the word and obeys the word of God. And in our text again, again, Jesus continues the topic of hearing. Look at uh, chapter 8, verse 18. He says, take care then how you hear. Verse 21, my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus puts a massive emphasis on hearing his word and obeying his word. And so why? Why does he place such an emphasis on hearing and obeying his word? For example, let's say um, we have an experienced investor who somehow knew with 100% certainty what would happen in the next 10 years in the markets. And let's say he comes to us and he teaches us what we are to do and how we are to invest. Okay? And if we listen to his words, because he knows with certainty what will happen in the next 10 years, we are guaranteed to make a fortune. Okay? And so if we apply this parable to our scenario, the parable of the sower, after listening to this man, this experienced investor, some of us would forget everything he said the next day. We just abandon his words. Some of us would get excited for about a month or two, maybe a year. And then again, we would forget about it and abandon all his principles. Others would try, try to implement what he said, but they are so busy with life, pursuing pleasures and riches on their own terms, they also would forfeit his words. And then the last category they would carefully consider and implement the words of this man. And then as he promised, in 10 years, those who listened, those who stayed faithful, they would make a fortune. And so the words of this investor, they went out to all. They were heard by all, yet only they brought fruit in those in the last category. Jesus is not some investor. He's not some man whose words we can take or leave, whose advice may or may not change the directions of our life. No, Jesus is Lord. And what he says, the words that come out of his mouth, his words that are written in scriptures to us, they have severe consequences if we obey them or not. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord over everything in existence, visible and invisible. And as Lord, he spoke. He spoke with words. He has clearly made known to us who he is. He has made known to us who we are. And he made known to us how we are to live in his universe. And church, his words are not a suggestion. They're not something that we are given a choice to consider, to apply or not. It's not advice that we could take or leave. His words have authority. 
His words have power. His words are a command. And breaking or going against his word has severe consequences. And that is exactly what humanity has done. We went against the word of God. We broke his commandments. And for that, humanity has suffered. It is suffering right now, and it will continue to suffer in the future the consequences of going against the word of God. And so as we consider the word of God, what we have to realize is that we're not neutral We're not in this neutral place where we have a choice to obey or not to obey. We have already, all of us, we have already disobeyed the word of God. And because we went against the word of God, we went against his will. Because we rebelled against God, the world is plunged into sin, into darkness, into hopelessness. We We're plunged into sin, into darkness, into hopelessness. And left to ourselves, we all perish. Left to ourselves, without God's intervention for eternity, we will pay for our sin and eternal judgment. That is how severe it is to disobey God's word, and we have all done it. Every single person has done it. And yet God does not leave us to ourselves. God does not leave us hopeless in darkness, but into this rebellious world. He sends his son, Jesus. And in verse 1 of Luke chapter 8, we see that Jesus came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. His ministry was a ministry of the word. Jesus went from town to town, from city to city, from village to village, and he proclaimed a word. And his word was confirmed by God with miraculous signs and wonders to prove that it is legit. He came to show us, ultimately, a way out of eternal punishment and suffering. He came to show us a way out of darkness. He came to show us a way out of Satan's kingdom into a kingdom of light, where we are restored back to God. He came to show us a way out of our guilt, a way out of our shame, out of our tears, out of our sin, into a place where none of those things exist, where there is no more pain, And there is no more death. And so that is what Jesus came to proclaim. That is the good news of the kingdom of God. That we no longer have to be in bondage to Satan. But we can be freed and brought into the kingdom of God. And so the words of Jesus, they are important because they are of eternal consequences. How important is it for us to listen, to hear, and do what Jesus says? In our hypothetical example of this investor, if you do not listen, if you don't care about his words, you will lose on some financial gain. That's about it. But look what is on the line if we refuse to listen and obey the words of Jesus. Jesus alone, church, has the words of eternal life. Jesus alone is the one who can transfer us out of darkness into light. It is a great mercy from God that he would even speak to us and tell us a way out of our hopelessness. And we have a privilege to hear his word today through his scripture. We have a privilege, church, to be uh, just, just have so much opportunity to listen to the word of God through podcasts and different sermons and through the reading of the word of God. Jesus alone has the words of eternal 
life. And so in our text today, Jesus continues to show us the importance of hearing and obeying his word. In verse 16, 17, and 18, Jesus gives us three sayings, three little parables. Um, They're very important for us to understand. Verse 16, Jesus says, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed. But he puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Imagine you lived 2,000 years ago. There are no city lights. There is no electricity. Once it gets dark, there's no moon. It's pitch black. And all that you have to rely on is a lamp, an oil lamp. Um, And so people would light up their little lamp with oil, and they would put it on a stand. It was the highest and the most central place in the room that would bring the maximum light. And Jesus says, no one, no one who needs light, no one in the midst of darkness, if you need to do something, you would not put that light, you would not put that lantern under a bed. You would not cover it with a jar. That would be counterintuitive. That would be foolish. It doesn't make sense. You would put it on a stand where it brought maximum light. Many years ago, I've tried to cover a lamp, and it backfired. Um, I don't know how old I was, probably like six or seven years old, and I was home with my sister. Um, Our parents went to our friend's house just down the street, and that evening, my sister was just having some trouble sleeping. She was scared or something, and so she's like, hey, can you turn on the light? So I turned on the light. It was too bright. Uh, We had a little nightstand in between our beds, and um, I went to turn on the nightlight, and it didn't work. The light bulb was out. So I go in the kitchen, find a light bulb, uh, put it into this nightlight, turn it on, and it is bright. It It is brighter than the light that we have in our room. And so I decided to cover it, took a blanket, put it over the lamp, and it was nice and dim. And we went to bed. But this light bulb that I put in there, it was 100 watts. And that night light was meant only for like 10 or 15 watts. And um, I don't know how much time passed, but my sister wakes me up. And the blanket that I put over the light is on fire. And so we run out of the house. I run back in, grab a cup of water. I try to put it out. I walk into the room. Our bed is already on fire. This is a matter of minutes. And so I run back, grab the phone, call my aunt. It's the only number I knew. Um, I'm able to blur out something to her, and the line cuts off. And so my aunt tells my parents. They rush home. By the time they get there, this is all within minutes. There's a blaze coming out of our window. Um, Thank God no one got hurt, but I tried to cover something up that was never meant to be covered, and I got burned, literally. (laughs) Sorry, I will never forget, obviously, but here's what Jesus means. Lamps are meant to give light. They are never meant to be covered. And the lamp in this parable is the word of God. Jesus says the word of God is not meant to be hidden or covered. It is meant to shine in darkness. In our dark room, a lamp is placed on a stand to be displayed so that it would bring maximum light. And so Jesus says, as the word of God takes root in our hearts, as it grows and matures, as it begins to bear fruit, we cannot and we should not hide it under a cover or put it under a bed. We should not 
be ashamed of the word of God in our life. Rather like a lamp, we must elevate and display the word of God into the most central and prominent place in our life. Jesus is telling us, don't hide the word of God. He's calling us to unashamedly display it in the darkness that we live in. Why? Why should we display the word of God with our life? So that others may see the light and come to it. We must unashamedly display the word of God because God's word declared and displayed through us is the only hope that this world has. And we display it so that those who live in darkness might come to the knowledge of Jesus. And this call, this call to put the word of God in a place of prominence in our lives, this is exactly what Jesus did with his life. That was the nature of his coming. Jesus was the light in a dark place. Listen to these texts from John chapter 3 and chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9, the true light, which is Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And then jump over to John chapter 3, verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus is the word that was made flesh. He was the word of God incarnate. And so he enters into this world. The light comes into darkness, and Jesus begins to proclaim words of life, words of truth, words that bring light. Again, Luke 8, 1, we see that Jesus proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God. And some believed. Some came to the light. Others, as we see John tells us, hated the light. They did not want their evil works to be exposed. And so now us, church, as ones who have come to the knowledge of truth, as those who have been redeemed and brought out of darkness into light, as those who have the word of God that took root in us and dwells in us, the word of God on, on which we build our lives, Jesus calls us to display the word to others around us as a lamp in a dark place. Jesus calls us to Imitate him in this world. In verse 17, Jesus gives us a second parable. He says, For nothing is hidden that will not be manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. In John 3, Jesus, uh, John shows us that when Jesus came into the world, the nature of the world is darkness. The nature of the world is 
lies, it's deception, it's manipulation, corruption, it is evil. The nature of God's kingdom, the nature of his word is light and truth. It is completely opposite. And so light and truth, they naturally expose darkness and lies. But the nature of evil and darkness is that it does not want to be exposed. It wants to remain hidden and secret. It runs away from light. So we see here from verse 17. It tries to remain secret and hidden. And so in verse 16, Jesus is encouraging us to shine the light of the word of God. And in verse 17, Jesus shows us what will ultimately happen in the end to all the darkness that runs and hides from the light of God's word today. And here's what's going to happen. Verse 17, it is an encouragement to those who are in the light. In verse 17, it is also a terrifying reality to those who are running from the light. Jesus says the day of judgment is coming. It will be a day of reckoning, a day of epiphany. When Jesus himself shall appear, he will appear as light. He will appear as truth. The word himself shall come. And on that day, nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. When Christ comes, all evil, all the works of darkness, all of the deceptions, all of the lies, everything will be exposed. The light will be so great there will be no corner, no square inch of darkness remaining. Jesus will expose everything, and there will not even be a shadow to hide under. That is what Jesus is saying with verse 17. Everything will be exposed. And so here's where this leaves us. Right now we have the command to hold the word of God in a prominent place in our lives as a light in darkness. We have the now, and we also have the end. We know the end, that Jesus will come and that he will expose every work of darkness and evil. But what do we have in between? What we have in between is tension. We have in between a struggle. I'm sure you're feeling the tension as you think, how do I put the word of, a God, of God in a place of prominence in my life, at work, at school, with my friends, with my neighbors, maybe my family? As God calls us to put the word of God on a stand, not under a jar, not under a bed, but in a place of importance and prominence in our lives, in a dark world. The tension is here. How do we do that? And Jesus understands this tension. He expects this tension. We know this because Matthew also records this text. And listen to how Matthew uh, writes down this conversation. He gives us a little more perspective here. This is found in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26. Jesus says, so have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say it in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, 
but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so Jesus tells his disciples, everything I've told you over our dinners together, everything I told you in our quiet conversations on the Mount of Olives, everything I've said to you in private, go and proclaim it on the streets. Go and proclaim it on the rooftops. This is an image. This is a scene of someone standing on a rooftop in a busy city, and he is declaring the word of God. This is not some hidden way of somehow showing the word of God to people. No, this is an open declaration of God's word into a dark world. This is a call of urgency to unashamedly hold and declare the word of God. And Jesus expects tension when we do this. Why? Because darkness hates light. As we are called to speak and proclaim the word of God into the dark places, one of the temptations that will grip every single one of us is fear. Jesus expects us to fear. And that is why he says, have no fear. He says, do not fear. Do not fear man. Fear God. And listen, Jesus knows what it's like to be a light in darkness. Jesus knows how hard it is to proclaim the word of God in a dark place. The darkness hated him so much, it put him to death. And Jesus, nonchalant, it's kind of casual, just rolls off his tongue. He says, do not fear those who kill your body. It's no big deal if they kill you. They cannot touch your soul. Do not fear. We live in this tension. We want to be faithful to the word of God. We want to shine as lights. But we also fear darkness. We fear man. And what are we tempted to do? What do we do when we try to please both man and God? It doesn't work. When we attempt to soften the light, when we attempt to make the word of God less offensive, more palatable, more acceptable, so that somehow we can, you know, still be accepted by this world, not hated by this world. It's like putting a lamp under a bed. When we do that, it is like putting the word of God under a jar. It defeats the purpose. To make the word of God more palatable to darkness is to defeat the purpose of the word of God. There has to be a contrast for light to be light in darkness. There has to be a contrast. We begin to make it palatable. We dim the light. We extinguish the light. Church, it is not up to us to make the darkness believe and come to the light. That is only the work that God can do. He is the one that changes Hearts, but it is our responsibility, church, to unashamedly shine and make the word of God the most prominent and important thing among us, about us. Church, right now, we are little lights. Compared to Christ, we're little lights. Those old oil lamps, they were really dim. 
the lamps that Jesus is talking about, they were very, very dim. And we're like these lamps. A lamp that can sometimes barely light up a room. Sometimes our efforts seem so fragile. Maybe even they might seem so pointless in this darkness. Jesus calls us to continue to shine. Jesus knows how hard it is. He knows the temptation of having the fear grip you. He knows that sometimes you'll think, what's the point? He calls you to continue to shine. Continue to hold my word in a place of importance in your life. Continue to place my word not under a bed or cover, but on a stand. You might be mocked. You might be put to shame. Jesus says, continue to do it. Do not fear to continue to shine your light as little or as insignificant or as dim as it is. And we continue. We continue to do verse 16 because verse 17 is coming. The day of judgment is coming. The day is coming when the little lights that we have that represent the word of God will, he, the great light will come and he will expose all darkness. Church, Jesus will not leave you hanging. Even though we might be ashamed right now, Jesus will not leave us hanging when the king arrives. Every mouth that mocks God Every mouth that tramples on the word of God will be stopped. And every knee will bow before the King and Lord Jesus. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Every darkness will be exposed. And so we have verse 18. Jesus says, take care then how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks, that will be taken away. Sorry for another uh, financial example, but sometimes we treat the word of God like um, some high-income earners treat money. We hear stories all the time. We see examples, even in our lives, people who make a lot, a lot of money, and yet, um, they just spend it all on stuff. Nothing invested, nothing saved. At the end, nothing to show for. They treat money as a limited resource, and when there's an economic downturn, there's no cushion to fall back on. It was squandered in the years of plenty. And sometimes we have the tendency to treat the word of God in this in the same way as a limited, unlimited resource. We hear it all the time. We have millions of podcasts and sermons we can turn on at any point. We, can, we have 20 Bibles a person. We can open up and read at any time. We treat it like a limitless resource, but we do not retain it. It's like water off a duck. It's so plenty. Why do we need to save it? Why store it up in our hearts? Why pay attention? Why treasure it? Verse 18, Jesus calls us to treasure his word. The one who is careful how he hears, who guards his heart, who treasures the word of God, is like the one who stores up and saves in the day of plenty, and in the day of prosperity, in time of trouble. He will have plenty stored up. This is a call to not neglect the word of God, but to treasure it in our hearts so that we may be lamps 
that will never be extinguished, lamps that will never run out of oil. In the day of plenty, in the day of abundance, it is sometimes hard to tell. With money, it's sometimes hard to tell who, who's really saving, who's, everybody's throwing money around, but it is the day of trouble that shows who's put in the hard work of treasuring things in their heart. And lastly, verse 19 through 21, a few minutes. Then his mother and his brother came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he told, and he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So Jesus is preaching. There's a crowd around him. His brothers, his mom wants to see him. They can't get to him. And so someone tells him, hey, they're waiting for you out there. And Jesus turns to the crowds and says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. First off, here's what Jesus isn't saying. He isn't somehow putting down or diminishing his family. He's not diminishing his mother. We got to make that clear. We know that Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus did not break a single commandment, including commandment five, which says, honor your father and mother. Who do you think of all the people that ever existed on earth, who do you think honored and loved their parents perfectly? It is Jesus. Jesus loved them like no one on earth ever loved their parents. So Jesus is not putting down his family. On the other hand, he is raising those who believe, who hear and obey him to the level of his family. Family is the most dearest and cherished people we have on earth. And Jesus says, that's how dear you are to me. When you believe my words, and when you do the word of God that I have proclaimed to you, you are like a mother and a brother to me. And here's why this closeness exists between Christ and us as people. In John chapter 1, when Jesus, the light, appears, when, his, when he declares the word, John tells us, but all who did receive him, all who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those who heard Jesus' words, those who saw the light and did not run away from it because it exposed their sin and wickedness, but they ran to Jesus and they confessed their sin and their wickedness. In them, God has done a miraculous work. In that moment, God himself has made them his children. They have been given the right to be called children of God. In that moment, they were adopted into the family of God. In that moment, when we have believed, when we have trusted Christ, when we have embraced all of his commandments, we are united to God, not by the blood of man, but by the blood of Christ himself. And Jesus says the mark of adoption, the mark of true faith, the mark of the fact that you are family like a mother and a brother to me is the fact that you obey. Because true faith is a faith that obeys. True faith, we, we are saved by faith alone, 
but we are not saved by faith that is alone. When we are adopted, when we become children of God, children know their father. We are children who hear our father and who desire to obey him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I just pray that your spirit would be at work in us. Lord, it is so easy for us to hear and forget. Lord, the thorns of our heart choke out the word that we heard so often, God. So often we just get busy with life. Father, I pray that that would not happen to us. I pray that we would treasure your word that we would guard your word, that your word would bear much fruit in us. And as it bears fruit, Father, I pray that the light that you have lit in us, as dim as it may be, Lord, that we would not be ashamed of it, that we would not hide it, that we would not cover it with a jar, but that we would place it on a stand unashamedly, Lord. And Father, you warn us of the costs. Lord, and you know our temptations to fear when when we do that. You know our temptation, God, to soften your word. Lord, encourage us. Give us boldness. Give us conviction, God. Help us not fear man, but help us fear you. Help us shine our light because it is the only thing that can bring those in darkness to you. So, Father, we pray that we would not squander your word, but we would store it up as a precious treasure into our hearts. And, Father, for those who do not know you, for those who hear your word, God, but do not know what to do with it, I pray that you would be at work, that your spirit would be at work to raise them up to yourself, that you, God, yourself would come and touch their hearts, that you would make them believe, that you would make them come to the light. Do that work among us, God. Do that work in our community, Lord. May many come to the light and see the beauty of Jesus and experience the forgiveness and the freedom from the bondage of sin and darkness. Do that work, God. Do that work through us as we boldly and unashamedly declare your word to the darkness around us. Help us to do that well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.